You're listening to Extra Textual. This is a show where we talk about an idea, concept, theme, trend, and relate it to some kind of media like film, TV, video games, books, music, and hopefully discover something about ourselves or our culture along the way. Thanks for listening. All right, welcome to the show. Uh, thanks for joining us. I am Eli Steenlidge, and with me today is... Jeremy Holiday, And we have a special guest with us today, Ben Grisanti. Did I pronounce your last name right? Yeah, that's fine. Grisanti? Okay. <laughs> so thanks for being with us, Ben. We are excited to have you on um, to talk about some of your new projects you're working on. And it's uh, mainly based in comics and graphic novels. And so you're currently fundraising for one of those projects as an uh, independently released, I believe. So, right. yeah, um, why don't you tell us a little bit about your background and how you got into comics and what kind of draws you to working in that format, I guess. Well, I mean, as far as getting into comics, uh, I was growing up uh, at a time I was watching a lot of Spider-Man cartoons. Uh, He-Man was really big on my okay. television and I was getting uh, a lot of action figures. Like I had a bunch of the superpowers action figures and the uh, secret wars from the 80s and it's it's kind of weird but that's sort of what led me into getting into comics because as soon as I started seeing comic books you'd see them at like uh, the convenience store at like 7-Eleven back mm-hmm. in those days yeah and um, you know I just walking past them I would recognize the characters and that was really just enough to sort of pique my interest and you know pretty soon I was I was buying them at the store for a while and then uh I don't. I think it was my dad took me to like a comic shop, and that just kind of blew my mind. So, I mean, I was basically just going there with my allowance money, just about <laughs> every. And um, since I'm an only child, and it's always kind of living in like close quarters, like with my parents, they were they were always something that I could like engage with that would like totally occupy me for quite a while. You know? Yeah. And um, it's so I guess they were just valuable to me in that respect, and. Um, I guess one of the other things about it that's sort of unique to the comics experience, like especially back then, is that uh, you could never really get the whole story. You were coming in, if you were buying like a monthly comic book, you, you'd come in like right in the middle of the story. And Marvel, they would always recap it. Like Spider-Man would always have like a monologue at the beginning of every <laughs> issue where he like right, to recap he describes comics. his whole background, you know. Uh, but then you're you're just right into it. And they would reference things that happened before, but like you could never, it was not like a like a saga that you would begin like in any one particular place so that just you know just made me want to research it and like delve into it more so that's that was enough right there to sort of like captivate me and you know here right. i am 30 years later more or <laughs> less and, you know it's still something i'm very much involved with yeah i remember when i was a uh, like young teenager in like the mid 90s mm-hmm. and like i think it's around that time that um in the Marvel universe, like uh, there was a showdown between Magneto and Wolverine, and Magneto Magneto ripped all of the the metal out of Wolverine's body, and like this was like a thing talked about in like my geek circles, like as if it were like a presidential election yeah, or the Olympics. Yeah. You know, it was like this like event that happened in time. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, my my experience with with comic books in high school, which was very limited, was like I like went to the store and bought like a couple, like some Spider Man and some X Men, and I'm like I don't. Where I, I 
oh, you know, like, oh, this yeah. thing happened. Yeah. Um, and, it, and I was, it was exciting because I'm like, I just want to have a thousand of these so that I can, yeah. like, know more about what's no going on. And I want to be a historian of X-Men lore. <laughs> um, uh, but it was also disappointing in that, like, oh, like, I, I get one little bit here. Um, yeah. And then I have to wait, a, wait a an yeah. awfully long time for some more. And you know what's actually kind of what was kind of interesting is that my cousin had a lot of the Marvel cards. Yeah, yeah. And when I when I got my hands on the Marvel cards, it was like they were they were like a source book back then. They were the Wikipedia of uh, my yeah. young life in comic books because <laughs> they would they would tell you things that were happening. They would tell you who the characters were, and in in a weird way, it was like those those kind of supplemental things were just unbelievably valuable to me. It's because you could go back and you can reference them, and it gave you yeah, a little yeah. bit of like ground to stand on. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. that Magneto yeah. and Wolverine thing, yeah, because it was always like you could, Magne- Wolverine could never go up against Magneto because he would yeah, because he had the ma- yeah. swat him away. You know, he's all metal. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, I remember that. It was a pretty big deal. Yeah, I remember uh, yeah. when I was young too. My parents would just like drop me off at comic book shops, and it would be like an hour or longer, and I would just like. You know, time would go by so fast, just like browsing through all this stuff. Uh, I think for me, it was the visuals a lot of times. And Jeremy and I talk a lot about this. Yeah. He's kind of a little more on story, and I'm very like as a filmmaker and stuff, very visual. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know you you write comics now and are a writer. Uh, what what kind of first drew you to comics or the format? Was it more the visuals or the stories or combination? Well, it, I mean, when I was uh, when I was a kid. I of course wanted to draw comics, but you, unless you know, it's really you got you need a lot of wherewithal to stick with the art. Yeah, because uh, yeah. it's a lot of trial and error, and you just got to do it constantly. And it was always frustrating to me. And I was just kind of wanted to tell stories, mm-hmm. and I didn't really, it never really even occurred to me that I should write for comics until way late in the game. Mm-hmm. Like I was, I had already gone to school. I wanted, I've always wanted to be like a horror writer, so I was concentrating on like basically being a novelist and. Yeah. Um, and writing like short horror fiction or like short novella length horror stories because those are the ones that I always just had the most pleasure out of reading and I thought I could probably do this and then uh, you know sometime sometime along those lines it was just like I was still really into comics comics had this like comics kind of died out for a while like the industry sort Mm -hmm. of kind of took a, a nosedive like all of it did and then there was kind of a resurgence maybe in like the around 2006 2007 yeah and suddenly there were all these new things coming out of people doing all kinds of crazy different stuff like just like a huge boom in the industry and at that point i was like i should you know maybe i should just focus on this um, because it's the community that i like mm. and so it was a way to interact with the community go to the conventions and you know have something more to talk about with everybody right right what uh what kind of always drew you to the horror genre um whether you were planning to write novels or stories or comics. I think it like, always goes back to being a kid and like being scared. Like everybody that I know that's a big horror geek was like really scared of stuff. You know, <laughs> like when you're a kid and it was like, I saw Jaws at a way too young age <laughs> and I was terrified Yeah, for like the longest time, just was having like night terrors and everything. <laughs> and, you know, eventually you just become desensitized to it. And then you're, then you're like chasing after it. Then it becomes like an addiction or it's like mm. you get this adrenaline rush. And then, yeah. you know, and now you're, uh, now I'm in the horror, like my whole life, it takes a lot to get to me, but occasionally I do see movies that do still freak me out. It's definitely. Yeah. So it's, it's part of the fun of it. 
And um, horror has an interesting relationship with comics. Um, it's very different than the relationship that it has maybe with horror literature or that it has with uh, horror film, absolutely. Mm. Because horror films like jump scares right. are very important to the horror genre at large in film. You don't really have too much of an opportunity for jump scares in comics. Mm -hmm. uh, you could say that there's really no way that it works right. to have like uh, your best bet is that you to surprise somebody is like on a page turn, but even yeah. then that doesn't have the same kind of like, impact. <laughs> so yeah, you, you know. turn the page really fast. Yeah, turn the page really fast and it'll scare you. Right? Yeah, yeah, that's totally true. I mean, I I think I uh, it's confession time here, but. Uh, I don't think till recently I realized what a horror fan I was and mm. probably talking for me more like movies. Um, but I think it's because the problem is that, uh, there's not very many good ones in my opinion. Like I'm sort of intrigued by them, but really out of a general year, there's like one that I really like, you know? And so I've right. kind of checked out these. So it's kind of like a depressing thing when I like it, they're really amazing and appreciate it, but you kind of have to sort through a lot of crap to, uh, to right. get to the good stuff uh, between there. Could you maybe, I, I want to ask a question about your latest project. Maybe you should uh, introduce yeah. your project a little like bit. Introduce yeah. it a little bit. Yeah. yeah, can you tell us the, the kind of basic story? It's called Polybius Streams. It's based on uh, internet urban legend of the video game Polybius. The story is that this game shows up sort of out of the blue in arcades during kind of the boom of the arcade period at the beginning of the 80s. Uh, it's around for a little while and people start becoming obsessed with it, but the game is buggy, so it keeps mm -hmm. cutting out on people. Eventually these fights break out. Supposedly it's being serviced by men in black. And um, then there's like people are having seizures, night terrors, and then eventually suicide and violence. And so I've sort of spun that into kind of a character drama okay. where we have uh, like a group of kids who are just starting high school and they're, they live in a small town, and their arcade is like basically their refuge from the world. And this game shows up, and it just kind of makes everything sort of spin out of control, like for the town. And that's uh, yeah, that's that's, that's the, basis, the gist yeah. of it. Yeah, that's yeah. the basic. That's the basic gist of it, yeah. Mm -hmm. One of the things I wanted to ask you about, which I, I think I saw in an, uh, like a, an interview that I read on the internet about it, was that um, uh, you had sort of written and drawn previous comics, and this is the first time that you're sort of just doing the writing and somebody else is doing the art. Is that kind of true? Uh, no, I've done – I've mostly – pretty much for every published thing that I've done myself, uh, I've worked with an artist. Uh, I've done a few things on my own, but I've never – I've not uh, – I've not really published those or released those. Uh, mm -hmm. Some A lot of times what I'll do is I end up, especially with my earlier projects, is that I'll draw everything out myself mm. and then i'll hand it over to the artist to like reinterpret it <laughs> yeah so it's that was just a pretty good way to go about it because it's easier to uh sort of describe what i'm what i'm shooting for visually than necessarily on the page do you um when you kind of draw that out for the artist is that an important part of how you write um i mean are you still kind of basing each panel off of like creating a rhythm in the story and the writing or do oh, you, yeah. Do yeah, you absolutely to, yeah yeah absolutely um the only way i was ever when i was able to like sort of crack comic book writing mm -hmm. it's kind of a kind of a big moment for me but i had to really think about it in terms of a process and give myself a structure in okay. order to work with 
And that structure would be to like to think of it as each page as kind of its own, like a paragraph. It, ha it has a grammar, like you would think of a paragraph having grammar. Mm -hmm. And um, and I, just in terms of problem solving, like I have to get from point A to point B in 24 pages. And here's where I need like my important events. And here's the here's the things that I need to figure out or I, I need to have in the exposition in that amount of time. And then sort of like fill everything in like once I had that structure. So breaking it down to the page and then to the panel and then being aware of every two pages because every two pages in a, in a publication are, are going to be mm -hmm. shown together on opposite right. pages of each other. So right. once, that, once that structure, once I impose that structure on the story that I'm doing, then it mm -hmm. opens up mm -hmm. and I can, I can work with it like within, those, within those confines. It makes it a lot easier. Yeah, for sure. We went to uh, grad school together, Ben. We're in the same program. And I don't know if you remember this, but one time you told me, like, you came up with this formula. And maybe this is kind of what you were talking about, that kind of yeah. cracking comics and stuff. But do you, do you have any uh, remembrance of that or no? no I don't even I don't remember. <laughs> but, um, but, yeah, this is, this is likely what I was talking this about. This is likely what you're talking about, yeah. Yeah, it, was, it stuck with me uh, for... Up until now, for every book that I've ever published, and I've done about, I've done like nine, mm -hmm. um, just independently published, self-published books, uh, and uh, there's, you know, it's not too hard to find how to write comics guides sure. from people. Yeah, uh, but there's no one right way to do a comic book. I've mm -hmm. seen comic scripts that are like, like a collage of images that somebody like. There's this really brilliant book called Profit. Yep. Which is uh, a reimagining of some like some of like what most people consider like the worst aspect of comics. It was like <laughs> probably filled like '90s image characters, uh -huh. yeah. and but the new Prophet series is like incredibly heady, like diff almost difficult to digest, hard sci-fi, mm -hmm. and it's some of some of the most imagining, breathtaking things I've ever seen. The scripts mm -hmm. are essentially collages. You know, they're they're like storyboards hmm. that they work with and he hands it over to an artist and then it's uh, the words are filled in afterward and the words are kind of minimal but the, the book is absolutely brilliant so there's no i mean it just illustrates that there's really no right way or yeah. wrong way to do a comic strip you just do whatever works i'm glad you brought up profit because i i haven't quite finished it out yet um but was following it for for a while and was also pretty amazed by like the depth of it, and I can't always say like I know exactly what's happening <laughs> or like. Yeah. Oh, um, me neither. And exactly. that's kind of part of the fun of it is that yeah. it really challenges you in terms of trying to figure it all out. Like it doesn't spoon feed you anything. Yeah, and sure. I mean, in general, in the you know media that I consume, I appreciate that quality. Like I don't want to be told everything. I want to kind of read between those lines or have it imply something that kind of spins off these other ideas, you know, in my brain. Yeah. And I feel like Prophet does do a good job of that, that it implies these kind of bigger ideas in a way that doesn't, like, um, feel sloppy or, like, you're, you know, badly, too ex badly It's not written. too exposition-heavy yeah. either. Right, right. Like, yep. it's, it's discipline. I've, I've picked up a couple comics, like, uh, independent comics. Mm -hmm. um, and you can, you can tell sometimes when it's somebody who... Uh, is really a novelist, but trying to work like in the comic work book medium. Comics. Like you open, you don't want to open up a comic book to like two full pages of prose. 
mm-hmm. because it's it's almost like false advertising. It's like I would read a comic sure. book, so you open it up, you, you want it to be comic book like immediately, and you don't want right. too much. You just have to have the right balance of exposition. Profit is interesting because there's almost none. It just throws you into the world. Mm-hmm. It gives you the elements to work with, and it just expects you to catch up. And you can't. You absolutely can, but it's. I mean, it's it's hypnotic. Like it's difficult, <laughs> but it's fun. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Yeah, uh, but I mean, in terms of like, good. I was just gonna say that, like, in terms of like script writing, I do rely on stuff that I've learned studying film. Okay. Like you see the phrase "shot reverse shot" in some form or another, mm-hmm. like in every every comic script that I do, mm-hmm. because it's just I mean that that simple principle uh, carries over very well into the comic book, uh, in the comic book world, and it is it is sort of storyboarding, but right, it's also a lot more than that. Like I. I really kind of don't like when somebody is very much involved in film and they come to comic books and they're like, it's just like, it's just storyboarding. It's just, it's just storyboarding. Story- no, absolutely not. It's so much more <laughs> than that. So that's, that's kind of a reductive way to think about it. But mm. in certain respects, you can absolutely learn, you know, from those techniques and kind of transfer it over to comic writing. So what do you think is unique between, um, you know, comic books, film and TV, as far as maybe like comic books, what do you think is unique about that format and medium that, it does better than maybe these other formats or has an advantage. Um, I absolutely do think it's better. <laughs> like just in those simple terms, that's like, yeah. that's my judgment. That's my own personal judgment call. Uh-huh. Um, but it's uh, the fact that it's, uh, it's like active entertainment as opposed to passive entertainment, mm. uh, that it's something that you are reading at the same time you're getting visual input for it. Yeah. And that, that visual input is not limited by technology the same way like uh, special effects in a film are mm. or like a, a budget constraint in a film is um, but you still have that visual element and right. um, and going back to that idea that it, it's sort of like uh, those of us that have grown up with comics and have grown up in the, in the community um, uh, well the community is a big aspect of it as well because you have a mm. bunch of other people you can talk to about it there's uh, we're kind of like a niche sort of thing but mm-hmm. um back to that aspect that you do have to kind of, you, you have to read critically. It, like, it encourages you to read critically. Whether it's something that's kind of like just dense, like uh, Profit is, yeah. or these superhero stories where you're only getting, like, you're going to get doled out to you in like little bits here and there, and you have to kind of put it together. So um, it's definitely a great way to stay engaged with the narrative in ways that you maybe don't get in, in other mediums, for sure. Yeah. I, uh, I do think about, I wonder... With comic books, you have more of these panels that are pieced together on the page. And in film, we can kind of think of the same thing as kind of, at least a real film, you know, there's the the gaps in the images that flash before our eyes and we're still putting the pieces together. Or if we think of like montage, you know, certain Mm -hmm. ways of using film, you can put these images together and you create relationships because they come one after another. But I think you're right that in comics, you have to do more work in some ways because there can be such a gap in what happens between each panel um, that you have to put those pieces together. And at least it has the power to do that, I think, to uh, to kind of imply a lot more in our minds what's happening between those uh, kind of in the gutter between those those panels, which I think is interesting and and does have a lot more potential than kind of. You know, film or TV now, especially with digital, like it's just a constant stream of data 
coming into our eyeballs or whatever. So we don't even really have a chance to process that in some ways. Um, right. Yeah. We just kind of let it glide past us uh, and without really thinking about it. So I think it does have kind of this different between us. Well, yeah, and like on the active part, like I just yeah. I was just read through like the first two books of Preacher. Um, yeah, I, I tend to like more um, like the graphic novel as opposed to the classic comic book. Yeah. Um, but there, there, you know, in terms of being active, there are plenty of times where like. I like won't get something, and I'll go back a page and look at it, or I'll you know, or I'll sit and look at a page for a while, or I'll mm-hmm. put it down, you know, and I'll take three to four days to read the book. But if it were a TV show, it'd be you know, forty yeah. minutes. Yeah. And so I, it, yeah, you know, and, and I'd just be like, if you, you get it in that time and you're done, or you can yeah. you can ride the ride again. Right. Um, but there's a way in which you know, like I I feel like I can pick at and digest and mm-hmm. um, each individual part. And I was also I just read um, like the the trade paperback of. Um, uh, the the latest Sandman that Neil Gaiman did, um, uh, Obi-Wan. Obi-Wan. yeah, yeah, that comes before. Um, I had actually, I don't know if I, I had like subscribed to it when it first came out, but it was coming out so slowly that I ended up moving twice before I got like my third episode. Um, so I just got it in trade. But what I liked about, it, I mean, there's, it's great. Um, but also, I mean, some of the pages are so dense that like I really need just a, like a good five to ten minutes to just sit there and look at it. Yeah. You know, and and I and that's it, it makes it feel like, um, uh, you know, like really cool novels that I like. Mm-hmm. In that I, you know, like I, you know, he presents me with an image. He presents me with a little bit of text. He presents me with a little bit of a story chunk, mm-hmm. and I, I I have enough time to digest it and think about it and predict what's going to happen next before I move on to the next chunk. Mm-hmm. Um. So I get to pace my own story, um, and it always like um, I don't know. I find that uh, really good comic books, you know, like Sandman stuff, uh, mm-hmm. The Watchmen. I, I really only need to read them once. I mean, I could go back and read them again, but I like I I really ring them out. Right. Um, As you're reading. Yeah, on the read through, um, in a way that like you know, good movies, you know, things I like, like Lord of the Rings. I've seen it like 15 times. Like I've seen Star Wars a hundred yeah, yeah. odd times. Um, but you and know, and you're, you're always pulling things out on subsequent viewings. But in the comic, you have the time to pause as you're receiving it to kind of explore it a little bit more fully. Yeah, and like I mean, like I haven't, I didn't read Anna Karenina twice. You know, I read it once. <laughs> um, loved it, loved all the bits of it. But yeah. like, I don't. Um, uh, I don't. Yeah, I just felt like I was able to with a, with most you know comic books and graphic novels. Mm-hmm. I, I'm able to fully you know you know, suck the marrow out of it, yeah. you know, at a reading in a way that, you know, a TV show or movie never does, you know, cause I'm, it's done and, yeah. you know, 90 minutes, yeah. I'm out. Yeah. And, and I do appreciate the, the craft of, uh, comics or graphic novels as well. I feel like for me, I do really like the repeat visits to comics because I can go back and appreciate the art again, which I know somebody, you know, drew, uh, with a lot of care, hopefully, and, you know, certainly films and TV can be well-crafted. Um, there's a lot of craft goes into them as well, but I don't think you can sit and kind of appreciate it in the same way um, that you do. And I was also thinking of when digital comics became popular a few years back, and I and I had a, first got an iPad and things like that. I was excited to have, you know, these big volumes just on the iPad and see them, like, sharp digital screen. But then they started doing, like, the guided viewing things. I don't know if you guys have done that where yeah, it will show I have you strong opinions about that <laughs> um yeah it just kind of shows you a panel at a time yeah and then i started to realize like i felt like i was losing something yeah because i'm not associating yeah, it with yeah. other things on the page which yeah. is how it was meant to be exactly. but um yeah, what, yeah what the do you way think that they crop them is like it just doesn't work that way like 
Hmm. I guess, I mean, maybe some people like that if you, I don't, I, I think it's like, it's almost detrimental. I think hmm. like there are some, like there are digital comics made for the digital format that work great on a tablet yeah. or like an iPhone, but right. they're, they're made with that in mind. Hmm. But, and I, I think we should always kind of be concerned as to how is, how was this written for the screen or is this written for the page? So right. we should, we should, we should be able to look at that. And, uh, so yeah, I don't I don't really like the guided view for that exact reason. Like I want to see it on the page, and even then, a lot of times I want to see it on the page that's next to the page that I'm looking at. You know, uh, right. and but I do like digital comics. The great the great thing about digital comics is that uh, it really got uh, a lot of these books to uh, every corner of the earth. Right. Like right. I talk to people in Europe that like you know you can't. You can't get the print comics there. Not in mm. time. Not on a Wednesday. Not every Wednesday. <laughs> not every Wednesday. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but right. they, you know, they get the digital comics and they they're able to engage with the culture and stay up on everything that way. So, mm. kind of talking about that, and as an independent uh, comic writer and creator, do you? Uh, what have you find with that process? Certainly, we we're kind of trying to make independent films, very small stuff, and it's it's tough. Uh, and both of those take, you know, a lot of time and, and money really to be able to do that. Do you, do you found like digital is a way that you can maybe distribute easier or what has kind of been your process with that? I've actually been very reluctant to, uh, having my stuff available digital. Mm-hmm. I have it available through the Kickstarters that I ran because you just, you just have to give people that option. You know? Yeah. Yeah, but um, I'm not super wild about how my stuff plays in the digital format. Okay. Um, uh, and part of that has to do uh, with, you know, minor imperfections in the art that you would have never noticed on the printed page, but they see, it seems to zoom in on it, you know, when you have it in the <laughs> digital format. Right. Uh, because virtually everything I've done up until this point, like this Polybius Dreams comic book that I'm doing is the first time I've worked with a professional art team. Okay. Um, everything else has been a, what I call get together with your friends and make comics. Comics. Mm. Uh, the one was like I've worked with uh, the guy who's my tattoo artist. Brilliant, brilliant guy. Brilliant yeah. artist. New to comics. Mm-hmm. Has a background, obviously, doing tattoos, but has a background in fine arts and as an arts educator. Okay. Um, so there's like the the aspect of comics where it's limited animation is new for him. So mm. you can see that you can see that in there. His technical ability is great. The guy that I did my comic insurance, which is about uh, the premise is that it's an insurance office for magical and haunted artifacts. So it's our way of basically doing a satire of supernatural detective stories, except turning it into like an office space kind of thing. But he's he's essentially a doodler. You know, he's okay. self-taught. You know, he's had maybe some art classes in, in college, but really mm-hmm. not too much at all. Just like a horror movie fan who just likes to cartoon kind of in his spare time. Yeah. And... Uh, I come along and I've definitely challenged him in a lot of ways. Um, just drawing like that, like stuff you wouldn't normally draw. You know, yeah. he would he would normally just draw like figures and things. But I've got him drawing cars, and you know that's that's a difficult thing if you're not used to drawing cars to be able sure. to draw cars. Right. So, yeah. So it's a, I mean it's an interesting thing. But now um, I'm working with a professional guy and I'm working with a professional colorist. And uh, they're both working entirely digitally, so I mean, it looks pretty good. Yeah, um, I'm really I just like I can't believe how good it looks. But in terms of it being any less expensive, it's certainly less expensive to do. Like, who does Kodak? Like, Kodak used to be the only ones making film, right? 
and now I imagine it's probably pretty expensive to get it. To actually oh, yeah. Shoot yeah. yeah, we don't we don't use film. <laughs> yeah, no, you have to. Yeah. You have to pretty much use digital. Yeah, you have to use digital, or it's not reasonable yeah. at all. Yeah, it's not reasonable. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you could have a Kickstarter for just the film of your right. film, like, right. like, right. like yeah. I, just I let the, us do it on the, the film. film stock. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. Yeah, I mean, I think both processes are pretty long in certain cases if we're talking film and comics, but do you, I mean, how long do you, let's say like, uh, the insurance project you did and this one to get going and, and, you know, how does that feel kind of like working with your artists and stuff? Can that be, um, tough to keep going with? Oh, it's, uh, yeah, absolutely. It's a challenge. Uh, and you've got a lot less people working on a comic book. Mm -hmm. Uh, so you have to make sure you're working with, like as a writer, you have to make sure you have a great relationship with your artist. Uh, like in terms of like working relationship, like they know you're able to communicate effectively so that you come out with the best thing. Yeah. And uh, working with Mike for the insurance comics, uh, I found that he was sometimes reluctant to bring things to my attention that were giving him a hard time, hmm. or that he necessarily didn't think worked too well. So he was mm-hmm. he was a bit more reluctant to sort of put his input into it and change it around to a way that he was comfortable with. Whereas the guy I'm working with now has some has a lot of professional experience. He'll yeah. tell me right away. Like he'll come at me like right away and be like, "Hey, look, this doesn't work as good, but we could do it this way, and it would work better, and it just makes everything better that way." So it kind of speaks to the fact that it's fully collaborative, mm-hmm. and in order to get the most out of it, you have to really be on top of that collaboration. Yeah. How uh, how much do you have to go back and forth ever with like the artwork and the story? Do you have to adjust? your uh, story at all when you get into the phase of working with the artists if they suggest something or do you ever have to redo panels or pages because something changes uh yeah i try not to redo the panels and pages sure. <laughs> that's, that's like where it really gets time consuming so you want right. to make sure you plan it out as best as possible um we've had that concern already because we we use that you know typical suspense movie technique where we sort of show like glimpse of the denouement and then we work then we shift backward in time and we're going mm-hmm. towards it. So there might be something about that first page in our comic that yeah. might look a little bit different when we finally get around to it, but mm-hmm. we try not to do that at all. As far as changing the story around, yeah, when you're, uh, when you're coming to the, I do all the lettering as well, mm-hmm. but when you, when you letter a comic book, you're yeah. essentially, you're rewriting. That's your final chance to edit mm-hmm. pretty much. And uh, early on I was writing from prose, a prose story like insurance I had originally started writing as a like a was going to be a novella yeah and um I, I adapted that and to the comic book and you find you're just like taking a hatchet to everything and just <laughs> breaking it down to it's like it's only it's most basic elements and right. make those work and then even the script like the script that we were working from I would get it back and I'd be like okay one there's no way I'm going to fit all these words onto this page and still make it readable like, yeah at all uh, and two, I don't need as many words. You know? Just let the let the art do hmm. what it's going to do. That's what it's for. So, right. um, not a lot of room for ego in that. Like, if you're really going to hold on to, like, if you're one of these writers that's really going to be like get really into their words and not want them changed around a lot, yeah. you know, maybe write a book. You know? Yeah, I was just going to say that that must be <laughs> a little bit like you have to let things go and just let the yeah. the artwork. Sure. It. Yeah. Yeah. Or if you like some things, like you can't plan for like um i'm i got something back from mike and the characters weren't situated in a way so that i could have the same rhythm in the dialogue like there's kind of a call and response 
hmm. aspects to the way that I was writing the dialogue, and I needed everybody to speak in a particular order. But if they're not in that order horizontally <laughs> across the panel, then that rhythm is now messed up. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. The way that we got around it was that I just photoshopped it. <laughs> like, I, just, I just turned the, I just cut the characters around, uh, and it ended up just switch flipped them. Yeah, yeah, it ended up working really well. Uh, hmm. So it was to no detriment of the story. At the end of the day, I was like, "Hey, Mike, I got to rewrite this." <laughs> but we, I mean, we figured it out and we made it work. So. Yeah, and and so the story in Polybius Dreams is this, like a uh, this nefarious and mysterious. Uh, you know, video game that shows up at an you know at an arcade and wreaks havoc um, amongst folks, and it takes place in the past. You said like a, like 1986 or something like that. Yeah, it's 86. Um, I'm with 86 it, rather than 81, just because I don't. I wanted it to be a little bit more of an advanced game, I guess. Mm. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so uh, I don't know. Do you have a, like? Uh, are you really interested in video games? Is is uh, like? Is the choice of a video game something that you care a lot about, or is it just sort of uh, something there to sort of like an artifact to tell a larger story about horror and social anxiety and stuff? Well, it's definitely the latter, but yes, I absolutely do care about video games, and I'm really fascinated by the culture that's kind of sprung up around it. I'm not very good at video games. (laughs) I I love them, but I'm constantly biting off more than I can chew in terms of the games that I like, but um, I... Like it's always been there, and I've always been looking to try to narrativize them um, from like a very young age. And there's all the talk that we have, kind of in our society about that goes around video games. It's often talking about how are they detrimental? Are they too violent? Is it a bad influence? Blah 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 blah. Uh, has always I like that's been you know with me as long as I can remember ever playing video games. We were talking about that. It was, and it was like Mario and Excitebike on the Nintendo, but it's like, you know, people still were really on the fence about that kind of stuff. And then Mortal Kombat came around and it was like, hey, you know, it's a whole different story now. But even that debate was going on way longer than, my, than when I got into it. Um, so the fact that it was about a video game, I thought, was made it sort of topical in a way that kind of transcends the time period. That in many ways, uh, the Polybius Dreams is... Uh, is almost a story about the death of arcades and the death mm. of arcade culture mm. and like, and essentially what did that whole scene in, uh, yeah. being that, you know, being the implication that it, it leads to delinquency. Like it mm. Well, I mean, I was thinking today, um, I, I mean, you just have to hold on for one sec for this one, but you know, like there was, there's a movie that I saw when I was a kid, it was called Mazes and Monsters. It was, uh, Tom Hanks's first, um, like yeah. big role. Hey, hey, did you see that film? Film is a very loose term. Um, (laughs) And I I grew up playing Dungeons and Dragons. My older brother played like, you know, I played when I was like seven. I had like a laser pistol and a vorpal short sword hanging out there with my like cousin in some, you know, like I was, you know, uh, phoned in or, you know, just dropped into some adventure. It was like a huge part of my life. Um, And I remember watching Mazes and Monsters, which is this sort of like made for TV movie about like a sensationalized version of a, uh, of a, a person's death, maybe it was involved with D and D. Nobody really knows. It turns out it wasn't. Um, yeah. uh, you know, and and I watched it, and I was like, oh, this is really, this really weird kind of film. I I thought it would be, you know, like you know, I was younger. Uh, yeah. and I was like, I, it, it's sort of negative view about it. I'm like, well, what could be wrong with it? As I grew yeah. older, I also realized that like, oh, people thought there's bad things about it. But I connected it to this thing when I was, um, I was in high school. Uh, 
uh, a friend of mine uh, smoked a lot of marijuana, and he wanted me to see this movie called Reefer Madness. <laughs> yeah, um, of course. And, and I had, you know, I was like, I had never heard it or I knew anything about it before. And I watched it, and like, for the, I didn't know what I was watching. It was so ridiculous <laughs> that I was like, th- th- somebody made this for real. Like, this is, they're not cynical, they're, serious, they're not yeah. ironic. Yeah. Um, and and at, at that time, you know, and also thinking about talking today, I connected this, you know, reefer madness with maces and monsters and, you know, and, and stuff that happened when I was young, when we were younger, like Columbine, where mm-hmm. there's this, um, or even like the movie Heathers, yeah. um, where there's this, this uh, anxiety about the youth. Mm-hmm. You know, there, there's some yeah. fear that society has about these young people that, that they, they do this thing, which we totally don't understand and it's it's the work of the devil. It's the the <laughs> Russians influencing the United States. You know, it, it's the evil working itself into this world, and, and it seems like I mean that it's it, uh, it, it is like a very perennial question yeah. about like the older generation wondering about what these you know younger kids are doing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. and, and now, you know, it's, now it's like directed at Snapchat. You know. Yeah. Right. We don't know what they're doing. Yeah. They're, yeah. For sure. Yeah. And um, it's it's. In Columbine, it was like they discovered that they liked playing Doom, and yeah. but the, but the thing about that is like Doom was like pro- is probably one of the most popular video games of all time. Like everybody, <laughs> everybody, like everybody was playing Doom. You know? I, I mean, I mean, like I remember in my high school, like we, like like we United Geeks, like made a proposal to like the school board to like get a network so we could essentially play doom in our school. You know, it was like, right. you know, blah, 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 networking computers, yada, yada. <laughs> but it was like somebody's brother had gone to college, you know, and they had network computers yeah, and we're like, out, yeah. you can play games together. Right. You know, I'm like, yes. Like how, how do we make that happen? Right. You know, and thinking back to like, it's just funny to see, to see what games are advertised on television now. Um, mm-hmm. And to think that like the, the, violence of doom which involves blood so pixely it looks you know i mean it's 8-bit <laughs> yeah right and it's um, all directed at demons and yeah you know that it, that it could be any thing you know that, that that would be something to be scared of because the other thing that i think about um i have kids an eight-year-old and a four-year-old they're both boys i mean mm-hmm. we play with all manner of action figures you know mainly lego stuff but we also mm-hmm. have gotten into transformers and thinking last week when we talked about like video game stuff it seems to be th- like all the same kind of thing whether like i'm you know pretending with my body to like shoot magic mm-hmm. or you or my guys are shooting magic or right. each other or i'm playing a game in which we're my shooting magic at each other right, yeah. yeah it's all sort of like the same thing which again feels like this very old human thing like in some of the earliest, earliest archaeological records of places like Mohenjo-Daro and Harappa, mm-hmm. they have toys, right. like little carts, little you know, little yeah. cows, and people creating images of humans doing stuff. Um, and it just seems like that, you know, I don't know, the, being scared of um, young boys simulating violence against each other, uh, even if it's digitally and other people can see it, like I'm fairly certain humans have been doing that as long as we've been humans. Mm-hmm, Whether, I mean, it could have been yeah. with sticks or rocks or imaginary bags of whatever. Um, it seems to be there. But the other thing that Bolivia streams and, you know, this, the, this question of, uh, you know, what, what's the youth up to is this, this kind of pushback we see whenever there's a new technology, you yeah. know, whenever there, whenever there's technology that's brand new that people haven't seen before. And it, it's, it's, I mean, nothing is ever fully embraced. We, yeah. we eventually, we do embrace it, but uh, cell phones, there was a big pushback against. Now everybody's got a cell phone. Mm-hmm. You know, and yeah, the, better, it was yeah. the same kind of thing with like 
uh, with arcades is like uh, like kind of twofold. One is like the video game and the new technology of that, and it being like uh, you know not you know one of the characters, one of the characters' moms mentions that's like what what's wrong with riding bikes and playing baseball? And, you know, we've heard <laughs> we've heard that before, right. right? Everybody's heard that at some point. Um, so immediately it's like it's different. So it's there's something to mistrust there. And then the second aspect to it is that there's a community. So there's this community that people are, you know, that's not a church group and not a sports <laughs> team and not, you know, that it's this new type of community that is forming around it. So immediately, you know, people are going to be distrustful of that too. And I try to speak to both of that. I try to talk um, sort of to the technology aspect of it and the community aspect of it too. Hmm. Um, we're, Without, you know, maybe having given too much away, but where does the kind of horror aspect come into that um, with well, your, uh, your comment? Yeah. With the story, it's like immediately there starts, uh, it starts off with the suicide. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's not really giving it too much away. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then that sort of balloons into these violent acts that are happening, like, all over town. Mm-hmm. And, but, like, the true, like, surreal horror aspect comes, it's called Polybius Dreams. Um and uh, from like the dreams that the kids are having, because that was like really like the visual aspect of it that yeah. we could that we could really just like let run wild in the comic book medium. Yeah. Uh, for the most part, it's very cinematic in the way that I'm telling the story, and very realistic. And I knew it had to be realistic so that when we when we flip to the dream world, mm-hmm. that it, it really like that surreal aspects of that really kind of come to the forefront. And that's sort of been the plan all along. And some of that, like I was thinking about this, like the way the way dreams are depicted in horror movies in particular, um, there's something like really special about that. Uh, and there's always yeah. been a relationship between like the idea of dreaming and uh, media of any kind. And in the horror genre, it's like there's a lot about dreams and like Lovecraftian works. Yeah. And, and of course, like Freddy, um, like with Freddy Krueger movies, where it's like mm. each each dream is like almost a short film. And that's kind of how it like that's kind of how a lot of the, especially the later movies are sort of structured. Hmm. So it just it was a, it was a sandbox I just wanted to play around in pretty much. Yeah, that's really cool. I mean, I think that's some of the uh, the concepts in horror that I am interested in um, because in some ways that's kind of based on a real thing, like dreams are a very real unknown to our psyche and who we are um and we have very little control it seems like over what happens in those dreams and they can feel very real um so i think yeah tapping into that concept is is really great it i mean what kind of was important to you in telling this story or what did you kind of want to bring out with these kids i mean i guess basing it in the 80s was kind of essential to about talking about the arcade having it be an arcade game game. yeah yeah um was there anything else particular about setting in that time or are you trying to kind of reflect something happening in our culture now our society by kind of telling a period story about it i i'm not like directly trying to reference anything that's happening now but Mm -hmm. all the elements that you see in my story are they've permutated into something else but they're all here they're all with us today like that's almost like a kind of a primordial period where like the um what we know as pop culture was sort of being birthed at that point Mm -hmm. Um, but other than just you know in the fact that it's about an arcade game there's really no other reason for it to be set in the 80s to me like it's really all about the characters 
and yeah. it's about the character art. And if there's like one ideological component to it coming from me, is that I feel like oftentimes, especially in the context of like a horror film, death is dealt with in like a crass way. And I want it. I want to do something that has like maximum emotional impact. Mm. Uh, it's. I want to kind of pull out the dramatic aspects of it, and mm-hmm. make more of a drama than like a splattery horror movie. Yeah. You know? And um. And I want. I want. I want people to really feel it. Mm. Is the thing. And the way to do that is to like really just focus on these characters. So, mm. uh, it, it really we're putting a lot of work into the characters, uh, and just making sure that they pop. And that was part yeah. of the reason doing it. The artist is Keith Bracho, and part of what really um, drew me to his work was just like his ability to uh, like just create memorable expressions. And he, he really does a lot of the work in terms of like really articulating these characters. Uh, I'll put like some dialogue in there, but like every page that I get that has like one of these boys in it, it's like there's something about their face and there's something about their posture that mm-hmm. really just like really animates the whole thing. Hmm. Um, so it's also me kind of writing to what I view as his strengths. So wow. really at the end of the day, I, um, I want it, I want like, I want the deaths in this to like feel more palpable than like a safe, the safety of like a horror movie would normally give you. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think that's kind of my favorite style of horror. Um, dark stuff is very character based, very psychological, where it's not just kind of... I mean, gore doesn't really scare me, generally. Um, those kind of films, it has to definitely build to something. And uh, and I think that's interesting, because, I mean, it's hard, I think, even in comics, to create that sort of horror mood when you're doing it just visually. It can be hard. But uh, it, I think it can be done. So It's also... It, I mean, it's also the type of thriller writing where I'm uh, telegraphing where it's all going, very early on, you know, by the, mm-hmm. like, by the end of the first chapter, uh, any, most of these two readers are going to be able to see where it's going. And the, the you get the terror in that it's constantly delayed. Yeah. And, and you kind of, you sort of see this thing in the audience where it's like, oh, I think this is going to happen. I really don't want that to happen. I really don't want that to happen. And then, <laughs> you know, then hopefully they're, that encourages them to keep reading. Right. Um, and then maybe they're not too terribly surprised, like when it does happen, but Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's not all about the surprise. Like at that point, at that point, it's about catharsis. It's about um, it's about the release. Mm. So, yeah, kind of the build totally, up to that. Yeah, right. Absolutely, I'm totally structuring it that way. Mm. So then, like, what what makes it a horror story? Then, which is, I mean, um, because uh, if I think you know, like uh, focusing on characters and making death memorable. Um, that sounds great, um, but how is it still a horror story? Because of the unknown element, and the unknown element is here represented in the, in the guise of the game, and the the dreams that they have are going to be probably more like the geography of it is going to be more recognizable as something that comes from like horror, uh, hmm. and some of the things that happen like within the town, uh, I think, makes it the horror genre like right there. And it's, it, I would agree that it's absolutely a dubious distinction that, um, and I've often talked about the story as being like almost misdirection, you know, in the way that, in the way that we're presenting it. It's, um, 
but by the time we get to, without giving like too much away, by the time we get to the last chapter, it's like it's going to be clear that like there's something unknown happening. Mm. Yeah. Psychologically. Uh, but also, part of what I think makes it leads to that horror theme is how we chose to depict the. Um, the uh, the effect that the game has on its players uh, was very deliberate uh, design motifs like involved with that. They're um, they find themselves transported to what we're calling the forest of the dead, mm-hmm. and uh, we see that uh, we're going to see that that has kind of like a like a uh, a surrealist like Lovecraftian uh, sort of geography to it, and. Um, like thematically, like in terms of the artwork and how we're depicting that, uh, ha- is more recognizable as far as the horror genre is concerned, for sure. Mm. So you've kind of talked about some of them, but what would you say are some of your influences in general um, in your writing or in your comic book writing? And then what uh, what kind of could you recommend to our listeners? Not necessarily people just getting into comics, but like what would be things that you kind of say like you have to read these. These are the best things in comics that you can that you can yeah. get your hands oh, on. I did actually. I'll I, I'll start with that uh, okay. because I did try to think of a couple uh, things that are going on right now. Um, mm-hmm. Right now, I think one of the funnest series is uh, Space Riders, uh, which okay. is Fabian Rangel and Alexis Zuritz. Uh, sort of like uh, Jack Kirby-inspired, heavy metal-inspired, psychedelic, uh, space barbarian kind of thing. And it's just, <laughs> it's like the art is just stellar. And uh, they're just about to launch Volume 2, so Volume 1 is available okay. uh, right now. Uh, I'd also recommend Headlopper, hmm. uh, which is being published right now by Image. And it's a uh, creation of Andrew McLean, who's this great Ontario-based artist who's mm-hmm. like his his work is like his artist his artwork is like almost undescribable hmm. um as far as the story it's a sword and sorcery story okay. and you know maybe it's it's pretty recognizable as far as that genre but the art is just so off the wall and wonderful it's hmm. just visually rich so i'd highly recommend checking checking that out hmm. and then like the the other book that i've actually been pretty impressed with is another one uh published by the publisher of Space Riders, which is Black Mask Studios. It's uh, four kids walk into the bank, or four mm-hmm. kids walk into a bank. Mm-hmm. And it's it's funny, it's irreverent, like it's a crime story that deals with kids. Uh, okay. It's also take place in the past, so it's, it is sort of like tangentially related to something like Polybius Dreams. But hmm. um, the sense of timing in that comic book is just delightful. It's so much fun. And yeah. it's it's another one of these books that is being delayed a whole lot, but hopefully they'll have a collected edition out pretty soon. I think it's going like maybe one or two more issues, and then they'll all be available in the same place. But going back to talk about like what some of my influences are, especially for Oblivious Dreams, mm-hmm. uh, I don't know that there's a bigger influence than David Cronenberg uh, for me, okay. because his movies like really got me thinking about stuff. Hmm. You know, when I was watching yeah. it, it's like the movie didn't. The movie ends, and then you're kind of left wondering, mm-hmm. and you have to kind of like piece, but uh, you know, put some of it together, like in your head, or sort of digest the social message that he has with it. And video drum, in particular, we've already put a bunch of video drum references into Polydia streams because cool. it's like if you um, 
uh, the idea of uh, video drum is like, what if violent movies made you violent? And this is what if, <laughs> what if video games made you violent? Right. And for the for the sake of the horror, for the sake of the uh, for the story, part of the horror comes from the fact that, well, in this scenario, it does. You know, we don't, we don't really believe that, but uh, we're making it. You know, in order to kind of tr- try to illustrate the point as to what this, what it would really be like. So David Cronenberg has always given me something to think about. Um, hmm. In terms you, of comics, it's like there's so many that it really becomes hard to sort of pin <laughs> it down. Sure. Yeah. But uh, good. I think I just think most of my influences for Polybius Dreams are maybe more cinematic. Hmm. Hmm. Are you a fan of Existence at all? Yeah, I like that one. It's a good one. Uh, it kind of just reminds me a little bit of uh, I I haven't read. Um, your new comic yet, but just kind of the idea of video games a little bit and that kind of spilling over into the real world or what you think, you know, kind of the idea of dreams and virtual reality, kind of half real, half not, um, those experiences I think is interesting. Yeah, absolutely. Um, kind of connection yeah. there. Uh, yeah. I mean, other than just like the general influences from everything that David Cronenberg has done. Um, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Uh, because I mean, it, it, it twists the reality around and, Part of the fun of existence is that the viewer is sort of along for the ride. The viewer doesn't really know what's real and what isn't real. Whereas right. uh, the, the reader of Polybius Dreams is going to know what's real and what isn't real. But because we're seeing some things later on in the story from the perspective of one particular character, it just kind of illustrates uh, exactly what the game is doing to him. So, hmm. I'll have a, well, a, a, go ahead. Oh, one of the, I mean, on the subject of like, Real and not real. Um, uh, one of the things that I, I really liked about Watchmen, um, which is like you know in my limited graphic novel experience, one of my favorites, because um, uh, uh, in that there's like the main story of our characters, and then there's this this secondary story uh, of the Black Freighter, you know, the guy he's getting this serial comic book, and it's and and the, you know it wasn't until I was because um, there's a point at the the end of the main st- the main story where like this giant manufactured psychic alien is unleashed and kills lots of people. Mm-hmm. I realize that's the first real mass violence we see. I mean, there's the, you know, some stuff in Vietnam. Um, but when I, when I think about and remember the story, I remember these like big, big gruesome piles of bodies that are in the black trader. Um, and, and it's that like in that world, that violence or that grotesqueness isn't real in a sense. I mean, it's a, you know, it's a story that someone is reading in this story, mm-hmm. um, but it you know it adds like a strength and weight and seriousness to all the rest of it. Mm-hmm. And whether it's I don't know real or not doesn't really seem to matter. Um, and you know, and looking at some of the previews, like you know, like the, the like the mock-up you did of like the Forest of the Dead, which you had on the Kickstarter campaign, you know, like you know, even though it's like fantastical, um, it just I don't know. There's a point in which it kind of doesn't matter because it's like the the story the story that what it seems like you're going to tell with this includes these you know Cth- you know Cthulhu esque trees reaching all over the place and it just creates um, I don't know like uh, it the distinction between like what is real and what is not real um, like in dreams um, you know it doesn't seem to matter as much I think in graphic media like graphic novels and, mm-hmm. and movies as well yeah yeah absolutely. And, uh, incidentally, the Black Freighter, I thought, like, I wasn't really wild about the Watchmen movie adaptation. Because they took it's it sort out. Of, yeah, well, it's sort of a bone of contention for me because it's like people, like, on the surface, like, an adaptation like that, you know, it seems to have all the same 
you know textual clues that the that the comic book does, but just in mm-hmm. terms of like plot points, you know. But like the affect is like completely different. So yeah. Um, but there's a great Black Freighter uh, animated short, which I don't mm. know if you've seen, but it's actually fantastic. Yeah. Uh, mm. It's um, I, I mean, way better than anything anything you could watch. That's actually the Watchmen. <laughs> the, the actual Watchmen the, film. Yeah, the actual yeah. Watchmen. Yeah, the Black Freighter yeah. animated short is totally worth seeing. Hmm. Cool. Uh, I also was thinking. Um, I I don't get to read as much as I would like to, and I'm kind of in and out on comics just because of life factors. But uh, Image seems to really be putting out some good stuff. And and I may be wrong, but they are kind of picking up more independent stuff than they used to. Is that true? And kind of releasing it? Um, Yeah, it's funny because, like, the the idea of an independent comic is, like, really anything that isn't Marvel or DC. (laughs) <laughs> they're the, they're the ones with like the corporate backing right, pretty much. Right. But yeah, is, is image comics really independent? I mean, they've got yeah. like crazy good distribution. They're in every bookstore, you know? Right. So, I mean, they're not really independent. What they are is uh creator own. Mm-hmm. That's the big difference is that right. uh, the properties that you see in image comics are owned by the people that are actually making them. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas like, you know, Captain America and Iron Man are owned by Disney. You know? right, right. So that's, uh, yeah. It, so image, like they've sort of built this kind of creator own empire and they, they publish a lot of really interesting stuff, but that's just shows you what this, uh, what the medium can do when it's not mm-hmm. limited entirely by the superhero genre, you know, right. it's like, a cro- right. it's across genres and uh, across any kind of like different art forms that they mm-hmm. can do that they can take. So, um, yeah, what image has been doing has been absolutely fantastic. As a kind of independent comic creator, do you is that like a, a route you're trying to get to? Is working with some of those um, companies, or do you like kind of keeping it a little bit independent? Besides, you know, the money factor because um, you have yeah. complete control, or what would well, be? Well, yeah, the money role? factor is the big thing. Uh, mm-hmm. And the thing about a company like Image is that they don't, they don't, they they're they don't pay for the art. They don't pay for the writing. Those right. are everybody that's publishing something with Image already has a creative team in place, and they have to finance independently. Image mm-hmm. will just get it into stores, so you have to be sure to right. make some money off of it once it doesn't get there. So yeah. they'll accept you uh, if they think that your book has legs, and anybody can submit. They're just mm-hmm. they're not going to pay for your art. They're not going to pay for the writing. And there's a few other companies that sort of work this way. There's um, relatively like small amount of companies that will finance a book, but mm. most of the time they're not really, they're not really paying too much. Like their rates aren't very good. Right. So like as an independent creator, for me, it's really just all about getting the story out there. Mm. And it's, it's kind of weird that you have to be able to do everything on your own before a publisher will talk to you, you know? Right. Yeah. Like you, have, exactly. you have to be able to write, color, draw, publish, promote. And then at that point, now you have a dialogue. Now you have a potential inroad with a publisher. So I would just assume do everything entirely on my own. Uh, it's just a question of getting being able to finance it. That's the big problem. That's why so many of us turn to Kickstarter to try to mm. get the money together. It's not ideal by any means, but it's sure. I mean, it's what we have right now. Yeah. And could you talk a little bit about like what it's like to do a project for Kickstarter? I mean, like, uh, so like I'm into like. Comics, movies, uh, Legos, um, <laughs> tabletop, wargaming. 
Um, and like, there have been things like when people send me people like, oh, I know you're into this. Like, here's a link for this thing. I'm like, someone is making that thing. I can I can buy that or finance <laughs> yeah. that thing. Right. It blows my mind. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I just because you talked a couple times about like the community and how mm-hmm. it was important for you and your and your art. I was wondering if you could just talk a little bit about how um, like that community fits into the uh, like to to doing a project like this on Kickstarter. Uh, well, I think I think we've turned to Kickstarter because it's hard to get the money together to pay people pay fair page rates and to get a book out there. Uh, so it's it's really out of necessity, uh, absolutely. And there's there's often been like a lot of talk back and forth amongst like those of us that are just kind of starting out and uh, and don't really you know have as much of a following as others. It's like. Should we even do a Kickstarter? Because we've got pros that do Kickstarter. You know, there are people that are professionals working in the industry that turn to Kickstarter to finance their their pet projects or whatever. Whereas yeah. I'm going to it just to have a project at all. You know, it doesn't. I mean, I'm I'm not saying that to sort of like put myself like adversarially against like having certain pros that go to it in order to finance their stuff because they absolutely should. It's just weird that that's how the industry works. And since we're all like. Since comics is just basically a loose connection of a bunch of independent actors, there's no like studios really. Mm. We're all like we're all on social media. We're all on Twitter. Um, even the big names are on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. So it's just sort of like it's just that being essentially the business model of crowdfunding. It's just it's just been like a really good fit as far as developing the project for it. We wanted to make sure that we had enough of it done before we launched. There was some question as to whether or not we were going to do it in color or in black and white, um, but now that it's in color, I can't imagine it. I can't imagine it doing it in black and white. It's just adds so it adds so much to the story, but that makes the price go up. So, um, I guess in terms of just like develop, developing it for Kickstarter and on Kickstarter, you just have to make sure that you have rewards and that you're you're not going to lose too much money making it making it a fun campaign for people. Mm-hmm. Know, because we definitely wouldn't have, I wouldn't have gotten as many pinups if I didn't think we were going up on Kickstarter because I wanted to make sure that I had plenty of content going out to people. Yeah. You certainly wouldn't have done a t-shirt if it wasn't going up on Kickstarter. So that's, yeah. I mean, that's more money on the back end that I got to think about. So suddenly you're now involved in merchandising. <laughs> um, and I think, yeah. and right out the gate before you really even have a product, like we have like lose the product like coming down the line. Um, Part of this story is that since it's based on like an urban legend that people kind of know, like I wanted to mm-hmm. try to make, I wanted to try to make at least that aspect of it with the pinups and the other, like the t-shirt and stuff like that, more yeah. generic, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's not, it doesn't say Polybius streams. It just says Polybius on it. So it, even if you don't know the story, like at all, mm-hmm. you don't know my story at all, yeah. there's still, there's still hopefully some cult appeal for people that know the yeah. urban legend. And we've certainly played much better with people that know the, <laughs> the original urban legend than ones that don't. Absolutely. Yeah. And so then would you say like that you've sort of, uh, I don't know, taken like a meme as something that you've worked with, like the like the meme of Polybius? I, do, I mean, I didn't yeah. hear – I didn't know about it beforehand. Mm-hmm. Um, but the minute I did look it up, I'm like, oh, like I actually would totally love a T-shirt with Polybius on it. Right. You know, it, <laughs> yeah. it, 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 it's cool. Joke, yeah. It's 80s. It's an inside mm-hmm. joke. I can yeah. totally noob people about it. Um, and so, I mean, so what I hear you saying is that that was like part of um, – uh, part of the marketing campaign for Kickstarter. Like you wanted to make something that even if people weren't 
directly interested in this story, there was some element of the story or the project or the visual stuff that was appealing to a, as wide an audience as possible. Yeah, and that was that was something that I wanted to I wanted to be sure that the thing that I was putting out into the world wasn't going to over-explain the urban legend so much that it felt like this was the definitive Polybius story. Mm. Uh, I wanted to make sure that there's enough open to interpretation with the actual game. We never actually show what the game looks like in terms of how it's, you know, what the graphics are or anything like that. Um, the And we changed, like, some of it around so that, you know, people can still contribute to it because it's it'd be kind of like crass of me to kind of come in there and be like, okay, this is mine now. I'm going to, I'm going to create like the definitive story. Whereas what, what I appreciate about the original story and these urban legends is that people can kind of give their own, uh, people add their own story to what's already there and then it becomes something else and then it permutates into something else. That's what's fun about it. I've heard some people talk about how the Polybius story is kind of the first creepypasta his creepypasta is like a thing right now, and it's this yeah. like shared storytelling space. It's like uh, where um, people are able to like include their own their selves in it and create these stories of stuff that well that could have actually happened, and you know it's told in that sort of narration. But um, it, it was essentially born on the internet as we know it, and um, it was a creepypasta before we had the term. Before we had the term creepypasta. So. Yeah, I mean, uh, I was talking to Jeremy beforehand about the uh, the Slender Man incident. Yeah. Um, Are you getting some feedback on your side? Okay. Um, were, were you getting some feedback? I'm getting, yeah, I'm getting static when you guys talk. Oh, okay. Is that, is that any better? No, I mean, I mean, it's okay. I just don't know if it's showing up on your recording or not. No, no it, it sounds totally fine. Yeah. It sounds totally fine. Okay, then it might be okay. my end. Um, but I mean, as far as the cultural impact that we've seen out of the creepypasta, yeah. and Slen- Slenderman in particular, I think has a lot of legs because there there were a bunch of movies that come out that have come out that like sort of changed some things around. Like I don't know if you've seen the Sinister movies, but whatever yeah. whatever the monster uh, demon guy in the Sinister movies is, it's I mean essentially uh, reworked Slenderman basically. Right. You know, he's got this relationship with these kids, you know. Mm-hmm. And even the story itself has like a creepy pasta vibe with like watching the videos. Yeah, um, you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Like it's so much that. And then there was the movie The Tall Man that came out with like Jennifer Beale, which I've, I think that's her name, right? Uh, I, I ended so. up watching. I watched that one, and it was like, uh, okay, I was expecting like this is totally going to be a Slenderman knockoff, right. right. and it's and I feel like it capitalizes on that a little mm. bit. And that I don't know. That movie has one really really awesome twist followed by one really terrible one <laughs> yeah i think i've seen it show up on netflix or something yeah um the so those, those things are out there for sure yeah there's a movie smiley yeah which is like a slasher sort of built around 4chan culture mm-hmm. apparently 4chan hated it so much they were trying to get the movie banned. <laughs> yeah i mean that is an interesting phenomenon like you said of this this kind of backlash that we saw you know, whether it was in the 80s against, you know, kids being in arcades and not knowing what's going on and and now, you know, on the internet and stuff and not knowing what people are doing definitely has some relevance in those sort of fears with uh, with different media and stuff, with new media. 
Yeah, so uh, talking about Kickstarter and stuff, where uh, specifically can people find uh, your current Kickstarter and some of your projects? Uh, well, the best thing that yeah, the best thing is to check out the current Kickstarter right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, we did set up a URL. Okay, I'll link it, to that it, in our show notes as well. But okay. uh, you can mention it's, it. On. Uh, it's www.polybiusdreams.com. Okay, so that's P O L Y B I U S dreams.com and that'll take Great. you right to the Kickstarter. You can get all my stuff through there right now. Hmm. We have a special reward tier to just get everything cool. if you want. Um, and I'm also online at hypnoticdogcomics.com uh, which you know is just more of just kind of a catch-all web yeah. presence for my comic book efforts that I really need to update more often. Yeah. Uh, Cool. Well, thanks for being on the show, Ben. We really uh, appreciate you coming on and hearing about what you're doing and, and also the the whole independent comic creator and writer, I think, is really fascinating to hear that process and what you're working on. I'm excited about your new comic. It has pretty much all the elements that I love about stuff. So Yeah, I mean, the story looks cool and like the stuff, uh, the, like the previews that are posted mm-hmm. look super interesting. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I also, I mean, like, as a, like, I'm a horrible horrible drawer so i have gigantic envy um for uh like people that can draw um and i just i really and i love so like i love looking at like works in progress mm. or like when they include sketches at the end of things i just find it fascinating yeah. um i just i really liked all the little like uh imagings of stuff that you um had on the kickstarter it looked i mean it was like instantly interesting like yeah. the forest of the dead i'm like tell me more <laughs> <laughs> yeah thanks i appreciate it yeah, yeah. And thanks for letting me come on yeah um, it's really a good talk. Thanks, guys. Yeah, thanks for talking with us.